Chapter Ten of the Feast of Saint Friend by Arnold Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten on the Last Day of the Year. There are few people who arrive at a true understanding of life, even in the calm and disillusioned hours of reflection that come between the end of one annual period and the beginning of another. Nearly everybody has an idea at the back of his head that if only he could conquer certain difficulties and embarrassments he might really start to live properly in the full sense of living and if he has pluck he says to himself i will smooth things out and then i'll really live in the same way nearly everybody regarding the spectacle of the world sees therein a principle which he calls evil and he thinks if only we could get rid of this evil if only we could set things right how splendid the world would be now in the meaning usually attached to it there is no such positive principle as evil assuming that there is such a positive principle in a given phenomenon such as the character of a particular man you must then admit that there is the same positive principle everywhere for just as the character of no man is so imperfect that you could not conceive a worse so the character of no man is so perfect that you could not conceive a better do away with evil from the world and you would not merely abolish certain specially distressing matters you would change everything you would in fact achieve perfection and when we say that one thing is evil and another good all that we mean is that one thing is less advanced than another in the way of perfection evil cannot therefore be a positive principle it signifies only the falling short of perfection and supposing that the desires of mankind were suddenly fulfilled and the world was rendered perfect there would be no motive for effort no altercation of conflicting motives in the human heart nothing to do no one to befriend no anxiety no want unsatisfied equilibrium would be established a cheerful world you can see instantly how amusing it would be it would have only one drawback that of being dead its reason for being alive would have ceased to operate life means change through constant development but you cannot develop the perfect the perfect can merely expire that average successful man whom i have previously cited feels all this by instinct though he does not comprehend it by reason he reaches his ambition and retires from the fight in order to enjoy life and what does he then do he immediately creates for himself a new series of difficulties and embarrassments either by undertaking the management of a large estate or by some other device if he does not maintain for himself conditions which necessitate some kind of struggle he quickly dies spiritually or physically often both the proportion of men who having established an equilibrium proceed to die on the spot is enormous 
continual effort which means of course continual disappointment is the sine qua non without it there is literally nothing vital its abolition is the abolition of life hence people who failing to savour the struggle itself anticipate the end of the struggle as the beginning of joy and happiness these people are simply missing life they are longing to exchange life for death the hemlock would save them a lot of weary waiting we shall now perceive i think what is wrong with the assumptions of the average successful man as set forth in the previous chapter in postulating that happiness is what one is not he has got hold of a mischievous conception of happiness let him examine his conception of happiness and he will find that it consists in the enjoyment of love and luxury and in the freedom from enforced effort he generally wants all three ingredients now passionate love does not mean happiness it means excitement apprehension and continually renewed desire and affectionate love from which the passion has faded means something less than happiness for mingled with its gentle tranquillity is a disturbing regret for the more fiery past luxury according to the universal experience of those who have had it has no connection whatever with happiness and as for freedom from enforced effort it means simply death happiness as it is dreamed of cannot possibly exist save for brief periods of self-deception which are followed by terrible periods of reaction real practicable happiness is due primarily not to any kind of environment but to an inward state of mind real happiness consists first in acceptance of the fact that discontent is a condition of life and second in an honest endeavour to adjust conduct to an ideal real happiness is not an affair of the future it is an affair of the present such as it is if it cannot be obtained now it can never be obtained real happiness lives in patience having comprehended that if very little is accomplished towards perfection so a man's existence is a very little moment in the vast expanse of the universal life and having also comprehended that it is the struggle which is vital and that the end of the struggle is only another name for death well i hear you exclaiming if this is all we can look forward to if this is all that real practicable happiness amounts to is life worth living that is a question which each person has to answer for himself if he answers it in the negative no argument no persuasion no sentimentalization of the facts of life will make him alter his opinion most people however answer it in the affirmative despite all the drawbacks despite all the endless disappointments they decide that life is worth living there are two species of phenomena which bring them to this view the first may be called the golden moments of life which seem somehow in their transient brevity to atone for the dull exasperation of interminable mediocre hours 
moments of triumph in the struggle, moments of fierce, exultant resolve, moments of joy in nature, moments which defy oblivion in the memory, and which, being priceless, cannot be too dearly bought. The second species of compensatory phenomena are all the agreeable experiences connected with human friendship, the general feeling, under diverse forms, that one is not alone in the world. It is for the multiplication and intensification of these phenomena that Christmas, the feast of St. Friend, exists. And on the last day of the year, on the eve of a renewed effort, our thoughts may profitably be centred upon a plan of campaign whose execution shall result in a less imperfect intercourse. End of the Feast of St. Friend by Arnold Bennett Recording by Ruth Golding Christmas 2011